Let me tell you about little Teddy. Teddy was a young boy, much like any others, but in school he wasn't academically gifted. He was kind of sloppy in his appearance, quite expressionless. One of those kind of kids that you would just pass by as one of the crowd, you wouldn't really notice him. He's one of those boys that in class he would often just sit there and stare out into space. Just not really focusing on anything, just sitting there and staring up, looking around. And that's really irritating. It's irritating when you're preaching in church and people start counting the bricks behind you. And it's irritating if you're a teacher and then you've got a a student there that's just sort of not paying any attention at all. I remember when I was in college, I, I studied civil engineering in university. There was one guy that used to come in every day and he used to sit there in class, he put his headphones on, listen to his Walkman all the way through lectures. And then at the end of it he would take his Walkman off and he would walk out. He didn't come back the second year, they kicked him out of university. Hardly surprising because he didn't learn a thing. But the, the lecturers were so exasperated like, what is with this guy? And they kept saying, does he only just do this in my class, like in my lecture? Well, no, he just does it in the mall, you know. This was young Teddy, just sitting there staring out. You know, it got to the point where the teacher got so fed up with Teddy that she used to really like putting this big red X against some of his schoolwork when he handed it in. This will teach him not to pay attention in class. And she used to put a big red X on his homework. But if only she'd have looked at his school reports over the last few years, she would see something slightly different. After year one, his school report, the teacher wrote this in it, amongst all the other things. Teddy shows promise with his work and his attitude, but he has a poor home situation. In, in the second year, at the end of that, the teaching report had a load of other things on it, but it said this also. Well, Teddy could do better, but his mother is seriously ill and he receives little help from home. At the end of the third year, his report had this in it. Teddy is generally a good boy, but he's way too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. The end of the fourth year, his report said this. Teddy is very slow, but well behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. In the fifth year, his form teacher was Miss Thompson. She was the one that liked putting these big red X's on his homework. And it came to Christmas and all the children brought in presents for their teacher. They were all nicely wrapped up things. And Teddy brought in this gift along with all the other children. And they all gathered around on the last day of term. Around the teacher's desk as she unwrapped the presents. And finally she came to Teddy's gift and it was wrapped in just brown paper stuck together really messily with scotch tape. All the other children started to laugh when she picked up Teddy's gift and when she opened it inside was a bottle of cheap perfume 
and a bracelet with half the stones missing. And the other children started to laugh. What kind of a gift is that? That's just a cheap gift. But to silence them, she stuck on the bracelet and she put some of the perfume on. And she told the rest of the class how beautiful the perfume smelled. At the end of the day, just before they left, Teddy ran up to her and she said, he said to her, Miss Thompson, I'm so glad you like my gift. My mum's bracelet looks beautiful on you. And her perfume smells beautiful too. And then he left. Over the Christmas break, those words just kept repeating into Miss Thompson's mind and in her heart. And when she came back in the new year, she came back as a completely different teacher. She's decided to change the way she looked at people. She got on her knees that Christmas and she said sorry to the Lord for the delight that she had in marking these X's just to get her irritation out. And instead of that same attitude in January when the class came back, she started to really love and pray for her children in her class. And particularly to pray for those that were struggling and to try and help them. At the end of that year, Teddy had improved quite dramatically. He wasn't the best by any means. But then he graduated, went on to another class. And Miss Thompson kind of lost touch. Then one day she received a note. It said this, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. This year, I'm graduating second in my class. Four years later, another note arrived. It said, Miss Thompson, I just want you to know I've been told this year I'm going to be graduating first in my class. University hasn't been easy for me, but I've liked it. Love, Teddy. A number of years later, she'd heard nothing in between. She got another letter from him. It said, Dear Miss Thompson, As of today, I am Dr. Theodore Stallard. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. And he said, I'm getting married on the 27th. And I would love it if you could come and sit where my mother would have sat. My dad passed away this year. And you're the only family I've got. Love, Ted. She went and she sat where his mother would have sat, wearing that bracelet that she still kept. And kept in touch with that young man for the rest of her life. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to look into your word, at those deep, deep words, the Beatitudes, teach us again what you would say to each one of us. Help us to learn today what it means to be merciful. 
and so receive mercy from you. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Speak to us. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now turn in your Bibles, if you got them, to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5. As we continue to look together at these amazing words that Jesus said. The start of the Sermon on the Mount, he went up the hillside to pray, or to where the crowds were. He prayed, he sat down, and he started to teach the crowds. And this is what he said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he carries on. Now the context to what we're looking at today, blessed are the merciful, is those blessings that come before that we've looked at in the last few weeks. Firstly, mercy comes out of those other characteristics that we need to have in our lives. We can't have the mercy of God in us unless we are poor in spirit, mourning, meek, And I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is the context in which the mercy comes. And so we need to remind ourselves what we're talking about. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those, the blessing of God will pour upon those who recognize first of all their spiritual bankruptcy. That we have nothing before God. That there is nothing we can do, nothing we have to offer God that God needs. That we are poor in spirit. There's nothing there. We're spiritually bankrupt. We're kicked out of the garden as the picture of Adam and Eve. Because of our, our sin, our disobedience to God, when we break that relationship, we have to leave his presence. He's holy. We're, in, we're not holy. And so we come to him and we go, Lord, I come, but I've got nothing to bargain with. I can't make any deals with you. I love the people that try and make deals with God. How many of you have ever tried to make a deal with God? I have. Lord, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you. As if, as if what I could do for God is going to, you know. Oh, I've been waiting for that, God said. No, it's nothing I can do. And we recognize first our bankruptcy before him. Lord, I come to you with nothing. I have nothing. I recognize And the second thing is we have to mourn that fact that we are bankrupt. Lord, I come to you with nothing because I've messed up. I am here because that's the decisions I've made. I've messed up, Lord. You've given me your law. You've given me grace. You've given me everything. But I've chosen a different pathway. I've chosen to go my way instead of your way. I'm here because of my own fault. And Lord, I'm mourning that place. I don't want to be here. But there's nothing I can do. And then he says, you're going to be comforted. Because when you come to that place, Christ then turns you around with his grace. 
He says, I know there's nothing you can do, but I've already done something on the cross. I've done something that can turn you around from that place of bankruptcy, that anguish where, you're, where you've recognized your loss. And I can put you on the right direction, on the right pathway. I can forgive you because of what Christ has done. And then we become meek, power under control, that we have the power of God flowing through us, but within the limits of what God wants it to do. We don't have a power that can just be used everywhere and anywhere that we fancy. It's not under our control. It's under His control. And He wants to flow it through us. That's what meekness is. Recognizing my place before God. Not that I'm down here and God is up there. Not that I'm up here and God is down there. But recognizing where I am, that I need Christ, that I need God in my life. And God wants to pour His blessing through me. Not for my benefit, not for my glory and my edification, but for His and His alone. And then we need to have that hunger, that passion for the things of God. Which is what we spoke about last week. A passion for the things of God that we yearn to have a, a stronger relationship with Jesus Christ. And more of God flowing in us and through us. And he says, when you have all those things in your life, then what's the outcome? The outcome is mercy, purity and peace. And we're going to look at the first of those things. This is what you will see in people who have that position before God. When we're in a right relationship with Christ, you will see mercy, you will see purity, you will see peace in their lives. But what does he mean? Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. What's he really talking about? Well, turn over in your Bibles just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. This is where he calls Matthew to be a disciple. He's called some of his disciples already, so they're following him. And then it says here in verse 9 of chapter 9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, what is your teacher? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, what does that mean? You need to learn what that means. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. What is he talking about? Well, let's turn back to where that's found. This is a quote from Hosea, chapter 6. Now, Hosea was a prophet of God who was speaking to Israel up in the north before the time when they were taken away into captivity. Seven, seven, uh, 700s, 722 they were taken away, captured by the Assyrians and led off. But before that, God had sent loads of prophets to come and warn them about what was happening. Say, repent, turn. Turn from what you're doing 
and go and follow God the way you're supposed to follow God, then all this stuff's not going to happen to you. And he sent these prophets to warn them and warn them and warn them. And they took no notice. And look what it says here, verse 6 of chapter 6 in Hosea. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's the bit Jesus quoted. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What he's saying is that the reason, and the reason, what the, the prophets kept saying is, that you're still doing the outward things. But there's no heart in it. You're still doing the burnt offerings. You're still going into the temple week after week, day after day, and doing the things that I've asked you to do. You're doing that. But you're only doing it because that's what you think you ought to do. But he says, there is no acknowledgement of God. You're doing it out of a duty, not out of a, not out of a service, not out of a connection, out of a relationship. He's saying you can turn up every week to church if you like. Because oh, I've got to go to church on Sunday. I've got to do these things. But you do it out of, out of a sense of obligation or because of a habit or whatever else. And if there's no relationship, if there's no desire to be doing it, then why are you doing it? It's like my, I have to do a tax return every year. I hate it. I have to do it, so I do it. I leave it till the last moment. It's usually the night before the final deadline, otherwise I have to pay £200 fine, right? Because I just, it's there, it's sitting on my desk. Can't stand doing the thing. Takes me ages. I don't do it with a heart that is going, oh, I I can't wait, I'm going to savour this moment. My tax return. Oh, yes. I'm not going to do it this week because, you know, like a, like a beautiful chocolate cake, I'm just going to wait till the right moment. I don't do that. I leave it there on my desk. It's in the back of my head going, you, need, you, you said you were going to do it when you had your holiday in the summer. Well, how come you haven't done it? And it's still sitting there going, like, deadline day is coming. You've got to get this done. And I'm waiting for, oh. And some people come and worship God like that. I'm coming because I have to. I come because I'm on the road to to come. I'm on coffee duty today, so I've got to be there. I don't really want to be there, but I have to be there because I said I'd do coffee once a month. Instead of going, you know what? I just want to come and worship God. Because I love Him. And I just want to show that love to God. And you know what? I want to show the love to other people. That's why I put myself on the coffee. I can't wait to, I can't wait to do coffee this morning because I can show the love of Jesus to people. His people. By offering that service to them. Can't wait. Love it. And that's the problem that was in Hosea's time. They were doing the stuff, but there was no relationship with God. And Jesus said the same thing to those Pharisees. He says, you know what? You're there looking at things, but you've become enslaved to the trivialities instead of seeing the big picture. Here you are walking in here and instead of seeing a group of people that need to have the love of God in their lives, you're seeing a rabbi and saying, well, according to our laws, you shouldn't be sitting with these people because they're sinners. So what's he doing there? Do you see what he's doing? He's saying you're doing the same thing that they did in Hosea's day. Why did they all get carted off? Disciplined by God? 
in a foreign land until they came to that moment of recognizing what they'd done wrong and called out to Father and said, Yahweh, we realize we've sinned. And then God says, finally, now I'll send you back. Now your hearts are in the right place. Now we've got the relationship back on track again. And the Pharisees, the big problem with the Pharisees was this, that they become so consumed by the trivialities of the law that they're completely forgotten about the relationship. And it's easy for you and me to do the same thing. How many times, how many times in our lives do we get captivated by trivialities and we miss the eternal? We miss the whole point of why we're there. I remember once I was in church, big old Anglican church, evening service. It's good service. I think it was a good service. Long time ago. Beautiful church. I love Anglican church because of all the painted ceilings and everything, you know. It's gorgeous sitting in there. The, the pastor, the, the vicar up the front, he was doing a great job. Only thing was, there was a little bird that had flown in. And, and I just sat there captivated by this bird. It was fluttering about. And I was thinking to myself, well, I, wonder, I wonder how that bird got in that church. I think it flew through the doorway or... And I was thinking, how is it going to get out? There's no, there's no windows right at the top there. And it was just fluttering around. And I, I was just captivated. And I thought, oh, I wonder if it's going to land anywhere near the vicar while he's preaching. You know? Do you know what happened? The vicar was there faithfully opening the word of God. I didn't hear a word he said. Because I was concentrating on this bird. Floating about. Wondering what it was up to. I wonder if there's a nest in here somewhere. And I completely missed an opportunity to receive from the word of God. By staring at a little birdie flying about. I could have gone out and looked up in any tree and had the same excitement. But I focused on the triviality instead of focusing on the eternal. Maybe God wanted to say something to me that night. And I was focusing on some little creature that was flying about. A friend of mine last week, he said, he said, I don't know what happened, they were all captivated at me while I was preaching. Apparently there was a mouse walking up and down in the church where he was preaching. He said, they didn't even tell me until after the service. I wonder why everybody was staring at my feet. And I was just wandering up and down behind him. You get caught so often in life. How many times do we get caught by the trivialities instead of by what God is really trying to say and do within us? That was the Pharisees' problem. That's why Jesus reminded them. That was the problem with the people of Israel. So what does he mean? Mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So he doesn't want any external empty things. He wants our heart. But what was he really saying? Well, let's turn together to Luke. You'll know this story so, so well. Because either you would have played the man who got beaten up, or one of the guys that beat him up, or you will have been the donkey that carried him into the inn, or the Samaritan, or the Levite, or the priest. Do you know the story I'm talking about? Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, he said, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbour as yourselves. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself and so he asked, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What does mercy look like? Well first, mercy sees the situation. It says in verse 33, But a Samaritan as he travelled came to where the man was, and when he saw him. Mercy sees people. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to show you a little video. Hopefully it's going to work. I'm just going to run back and set it up. Just a short video to show you what I mean. This is a video uh, in the States. And what they did, and you'll see it here, is that they asked a guy who was living on the streets to, uh, they, they got him dressed up in a suit. They took him, got his hair cut and everything else, and they asked him to go out and just ask for money dressed in a suit. Dressed up really nicely. And then they put him back into his normal clothes, and they asked him to go back to exactly the same place and to ask for money again. Just see the difference in the responses. See if My name's Sandy Shuck. Hang on. Let me beam this up. Is that the right one? Aha! Here we go. I'm a homeless person. I live here in the Austin area. This is Joseph Costello. I've known Joseph for a couple of months. And we got this idea for a video in which I would go around as myself and panhandle money. And then we'd go back in the same areas asking the same questions, but with me in a business suit. And I hope you enjoy this video and how things Yeah, I want to give a special thanks for Sandy for being a part of this. This video would not be possible at all. If Sandy didn't agree to do this, this is a really cool experiment we came up with. And uh, I hope you guys learned something from it, because I definitely did. Enjoy it. Special thanks for Sandy. Thank you. All right, let's get in. 
娱乐。Excuse me, but I need 50 cents for a bus ticket. I'm just just a little bit short. I get my 50 cents, I get to go. Kind of in a big hurry. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Two dollars. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm about a dollar short from a subway sandwich. It's embarrassing to have to ask. Well, thank you so much. Five dollars. I asked for twenty-five cents for a cup of coffee, and he says it's too hot today for a cup of coffee. And he reaches in and he pulls out a five. Quarter short for a cup of coffee. Could you help me? Well, that's okay. That's okay. You know what? I actually have a quarter. Come think of it, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Are you homeless? That's really heartwarming that you're going to give him a quarter. Let me help you out really quick. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. I'm short by about 50 cents for a cup of coffee. I really need a cup of coffee. Yeah, my name's Sandy. I need about 50 cents for a bus ticket. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And then I need about 50 cents for a bus ticket. I'm just a dollar short from a Subway sandwich. I got. Every... No. No, I, I didn't even say anything. Oh. Stop. Get the picture. How come when a guy is dressed up in a suit, people are just giving him money after money after money, and just because he changes his clothes, all of a sudden it's like, no, I don't want to know anything. First thing we see in this parable, in this story that Jesus tells, is that when you have mercy, you see the person. You don't see the situation. How many times have you and me been in those situations? We start rationalizing it, don't we? Well, that guy must be there because because of alcohol or drugs or other things. He probably deserves to be there, etc., etc., etc. And we rationalize it away so that we don't have to then respond to those situations because we said in our minds and in our hearts, "Well, no, I'm not going to do anything with that." But that guy, he didn't even say anything, and he went, "No, no, no." Before the guy even said it, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you. And we look on the outside instead of looking on the inside. Where someone that has the mercy of God in them, because of their relationship with Jesus, will start to see people as Jesus sees them. That this is a child of God that needs a touch from the Lord, and they look at their heart and not at the outside. When you see people, what do you really see? Do you judge by the outside or by the inside? 
Do you look at them in the way that Christ looks at you and me? Or do you look at them just on the peripheral, just surface deep? The Samaritan was different to the Levite and the priest because he saw the inside. He saw a guy that was in need and it didn't matter who he was. Whereas the priest and the Levite just saw somebody that's going to contaminate me so I can't do it. I don't want to get involved. Hands off. Let me not do anything. That's the first thing. Mercy sees people the way that Christ sees them. It gets rid of the stereotypes that we put up in our lives. And it sees people for who they really are. The second thing is that mercy then not only sees them, but mercy then causes our hearts to respond. It is an internal response. It says, he not only saw him, but he took pity on him. There was a a cry from the heart that went out and said, I've got to do something. I love the story. There's a story about a Christmas play, nativity play. And there was this little boy called Wally. And the teacher didn't know quite what to do with Wally because he wasn't particularly gifted in acting, but she had to find a part for everybody. And so she was really nervous he was going to mess it up and all the, t- all the t- other teachers were going to be there and parents and so on. So she said, I'll make Wally the innkeeper. And he said to Wally, all you've got to say is one line. I'm sorry, we've no room. That's it. So Wally went home, he learned his line. I'm sorry, there's no room. The teacher was really nervous on the night. The place was heaving with people. She said, all I need is, you know, the classic where he goes, oh no, it's fine, come in. Don't need that, it'll be a disaster. So her heart was pounding away. When Mary and Joseph finally came up, stood there, knocked on the door, and there was Wally as he opened the door. And Joseph said, have you got any room? And he went, I'm sorry, we've no room. And the teacher was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Then it went disastrously wrong. Joseph decided to ad-lib. Instead of staying with script and just wandering off as he should have done, he started to press the point. And he said, listen, he said, please sir, you've, you've got to have some room. He said, my wife is, is large with child and we've come a long way, you've got to have some room. And the teacher was like, oh no. And Wally thought for a moment, and then he looked up and he said, I'm sorry sir, we've no room. And the teacher was like, oh, get us for that. But then Joseph wouldn't stop. He started again. And he said, listen sir, he said, we've come a long, long way, we're really tired. You've got to have some space in this place where we can come and rest. And Wally's face went white. He didn't know what to do. He hadn't planned for this. This wasn't part of the script. And he thought for a moment and then he shook his head and he said, I'm sorry, we've no room. Mary and Joseph turned round and started walking off across the stage. And as they walked off across the stage, Wally started to cry. And he ran after them and he said, wait, please come back. You can have my room. 
Don't ask me what the teacher did. (laughs) But mercy responds like that. It responds because the heart is so overwhelmed with what it sees that it just it just pours out not because it has to but because it can't help itself because when we have the mercy of God flowing through us that's what it does that's what got Christ on the cross wasn't it that he looked at you and me and he just wanted it held him there when it didn't need to When he could have just pulled himself down and called in all the angels. But he looked at us as broken as we are. And his mercy held him on that cross. And says, I'm so desperate for renewing that relationship with my children. For giving them a way to reconnect with me. That it held him on the cross. In the story, the Samaritan took pity on him it just flowed from within and poured out it showed the love of a neighbour the third thing he did was that he actually did something about it it wasn't just that it moved within him but he then went and he he bandaged his wounds he poured oil and wine on disinfected the wounds Put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, looked after him. Then mercy responds in practical ways. It doesn't just feel sorry for people, but it does something about it. But notice this, that the Samaritan in the story didn't fix the whole guy's problem, did he? He stayed with him for a day and then he said, well actually I was on a way to go and do something. So I'm going to give some money and then I'll call in on my way back. He didn't stay there and he said, oh now this guy is my full responsibility. Now I have to fix every single problem this guy has in his life. I wonder why he got beaten up in the first place. Maybe he fell in with his... Maybe it was premeditated. Maybe these guys didn't really like him. Maybe he's stolen some money from these guys and they just got it back and they beat him up on the way. Who knows? He didn't try and fix everything and he didn't take all the responsibility on himself but he did respond externally. Sometimes we don't do things because we think we have to fix everything. We know we can't but sometimes we think that way. But actually, allowing the mercy of God to flow through us is that we respond in an appropriate way at an appropriate time. And then we leave it. God will bring other people for the next stage of that journey. God will know how to do it. We just have to respond in the way that Christ wants us to respond at that moment. To bring love of Jesus Christ into that situation at that moment. And the last thing is that mercy costs. You can't show mercy without it costing you something. Look at the guy, the Samaritan. What happened? Well, it cost him first his time. He was in a, he was in a hurry to get somewhere. He needed to be somewhere else, obviously. That's why he dropped him off for the day and then said, I've, I've got to go because I'm late already. I'm a day late. I was supposed to be there yesterday. But I'll, I'll come back and check in on you later. 
when I finished what I had to do. So mercy costs you your time, it will cost you maybe financially a little bit, maybe it will cost you in other ways. Here we see a Samaritan and a Jew, they hated each other with a passion. You're talking Arsenal and Tottenham supporters here, right? They just don't even talk to each other. They're seriously, they were at war with, they, they looked down on each other, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, the Samaritans didn't want anything to do with the Jew. Do you remember the woman at the well who said, why are you talking to me Jesus? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we don't even talk. And yet, the mercy within him, it broke down all those barriers. Why? Because he saw someone in need and allowed God to flow through him. And it cut across every single barrier that we place up. That's why Jesus went and sat with sinners and with tax collectors and with lepers and with people that needed healing and anybody that wanted him to sit with them, he would go and sit with them and touch them. Because he didn't care about the barriers that we erect. He said the love of God is going to go out to everybody. Not just to the few. Not just to the chosen ones, it's going to go everywhere. And we need to break down those barriers and mercy is the way that happens. It causes us to break them down. Mercy sees as God sees. Mercy then responds with that same love that Christ would have. And it does something practically. It's a heart that moves out into practical ways. And mercy costs. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You know, mercy, really, is just an outworking of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I kind of think of it like a barometer. The more I see myself being merciful to others, the more I know I'm in tune with Christ. And the more I walk past situations where I think, where the spirit inside says, David, stop, do something. And I go, yeah, Lord, but I'm just too busy. I've got all this to do. Like, uh, I'm doing your work, after all. I've got this to do and that to do. And I, I, I haven't got time. When God is saying, stop, just be. I want you to get involved here. I want you to do this. I want you to. Then I know that my relationship with Him is not where it should be. Look at yourself. Think about yourself. Are you someone that shows mercy? Because the closer you are to Jesus Christ, the more merciful you become towards others. I heard about a minister and his wife, they were in London. They had a day off, it was their holiday in the summer. And they decided because it was a Sunday, and they didn't have to preach anywhere or go to church, they wanted to just go down into London. They went to church in London. And then they went out for the afternoon down on the, the South Bank. And they walked up and down by the Thames, it's lovely down there. And they were coming back from spending time together, just as a couple. This minister and his wife. And they came back to Waterloo Station. And at Waterloo Station they saw this guy sitting there begging. And something within 
the minister's heart said stop and just talk to that guy so he said to me he stopped and he said said to the guy can I get you a coffee are you hungry and the guy said I'm starving so well, what can I get you so he asked for some kind of sandwich and so the minister and his wife went off and got a sandwich for him and the guy's partner came back and they sat down next to him and they sat there outside Waterloo Station with a coffee sharing and chatting the wife said to him later you won't believe the way people were looking at us as they walked by to get their train the way they looked down on us because we were sitting on the pavement with these guys and the wife said to him later too you know what today this morning I was praying that as we go and enjoy ourselves that God would show us someone where we can show his mercy they didn't fix all those guy, that guy's problem or his partner's problem they didn't get him into a house or anything else but what they did was that they brought the love of Jesus Christ in that moment because they were willing to stop and show the mercy of God to someone who needed it who needed a touch from God to know you know what somebody in this world really cares somebody is willing to to sit on the street with you is willing to have a cup of coffee with you share a sandwich with you show the love of Christ God wants to use you and me to do that non-stop he will show you if you're willing situation after situation where you can just stop and show the mercy of Christ in that moment to whoever it might be the question is are you willing we need to be because when we think about how he has poured out his mercy on us who do not deserve a thing from him we need to be open vessels to allow that mercy to flow through us to touch others that's why Jesus said bless it I will pour my blessing in and through the merciful and as I do that so that mercy fills them and goes out through them they will know what it is to receive the mercy from Christ let us pray Lord you have said blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy we have all received mercy from you being a follower of Jesus Christ we have received unmerited mercy we don't deserve it but you have poured it out upon us and you call us not enemies of you, you not even children of you but co-heirs with Christ you've elevated us to that level we don't deserve that we deserve to be kicked out of your garden kicked out of your presence and left wandering on our own but you are so gracious so loving so merciful that you have shown that mercy to us 
Help us to be channels of that mercy to one another this week. Show us people, not, not that we judge them on the outside, show us their heart where we can just do what it is to bring the love of Jesus Christ into that moment. Just like that Samaritan. Break down the barriers, break down the, the facades. Just speak to our hearts, Lord, that we may show your mercy. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's just pray for one another. So let's just, uh, while you're sitting, can you just, actually let's stand. We'll hold the hands of people around us. I'm just going to pray for them as we close our service today. Lord, we want to pray for the person on our right and the person on our left. We thank you for them. We thank you for the mercy that you have poured out upon them and in their lives and through them. We ask this week that you would truly bless them. Not just for their own blessing, but that they may be a blessing to people around. Lord, work in them and through them this week. Show them situations. Show them people that need a a touch from you. And Lord, use them as our brothers and sisters, as your servants, in those situations, to show your mercy, your loving kindness. And so touch others that need to receive from you. Lord, we lift them to you. We thank you for them. Bless them, Lord. For blessed are the merciful. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.